And Cadet Millen's going to come at this time, and she's going to share with us um, what God has um, laid on her heart to share with his people this morning. Amen. Well, I'm going to just share briefly um, just a little bit of my testimony um, in hopes that, one, you'll get to know me a little better, and two, um, that God would just get the glory that he deserves for my life. And so um, I'll admit, first off, <laughs> that oftentimes when people ask me to tell my testimony, I get a little nervous. And not because I'm afraid of crowds, because I'm, I'm definitely not, but um, my testimony isn't very, quote-unquote, interesting, if you would say. For the most part, I had an, a rather ideal life. I was raised in a two-parent household with a mom and a dad, and they loved me with every fiber of their being. Um, so much so that even to this day, on my way to Lubbock, um, before we left, my dad called me, mind, mind you, I'm 30. My dad called and said, um, do you have GPS? And I said, yeah, dad. And he said, well, I'm just sitting here looking at my atlas. I just thought you should know that you can take 20 all the way. To, he gave me all the directions, <laughs> right? And he normally gives me the same spiel. What do you do if you see a dog in the road? What do you do if you see a deer? What do you do with your lights? Like, I usually get to say, you know, a pretty good little spiel every time. But that's how much he loves me, is that he just never stops being a dad. And so they love me so much, and they love the Lord, and they raised me to do the same. They attended all my games, my recitals. Um, I lived in the same town and the same house my entire life. The town I lived in was pretty small. It's called Henderson, Texas. It's maybe a fourth of Lubbock. Um, but so small that if you found trouble, it was likely that you went looking for it. Now, don't get me wrong. I wasn't a perfect child. Um, as I approached my teen years, my mouth became foul, uh, intimate before marriage. I drank a few times. But for the most part, that was the extent of what one might say major sin, although we know that sin is sin. Um, one thing I did fail to mention, though, is that my simply being alive is a miracle. My mom lost five children before she gave birth to me. One day while sitting on her porch, her landlord and her spiritual mother came outside and sat with her, and my mom expressed how afraid she was that she would lose another child. Her spiritual mother laid hands on her belly and declared that I would arrive healthy and that I would be anointed by God. That day, my mother not only rededicated her life, amen, but she got on a path and just continued to strive after the heart of God. And as you can see, I arrived quite healthy. <laughs> so living my life with the knowledge that being here is truly a miracle, I've always known that God had a special call on my life. Even in times when I was committing sin and living a life the way I wanted to live it, I still experienced conviction and I still feared God. After rededicating my life to him in 2003, I struggled with this question. How can I be effective? How can I minister to people when I can't honestly say that I've experienced half or any of the things that they've experienced? And one day, God said this to me. Regardless of how many or how few times you have sinned, you still need salvation. And without it, you will miss heaven and you will miss life on earth as well as eternal life with me. And you are a testimony to the fact that I, your God, am a keeper. I can keep you from sin and the consequences that it brings if you allow me to. So in 2012, after being married to my handsome husband there for three years, 
And having, <laughs> having worked for the Salvation Army for two months, my husband and I decided that we would attend a morning worship service. And we had simply attended the service just because he was going to help out with the school of music. And so we just wanted to go just to see the equipment they had. And we had never attended the Salvation Army before. So just to see how the service went so we could see what um, help we could be. During the altar call, um, as those from our shelter that were attending service, um, many of them began to flood the altar. And my husband and I began to weep, just weep sitting there. Um, the presence of the Lord and the sincerity of the people's hearts was almost tangible. After leaving the service and getting home, we both agreed that in, in that moment, God had called us to be Salvation Army officers. Now, being that we weren't even soldiers yet, <laughs> the Corps officer was surprised yet excited to hear that we had received the call. And they took us under their wing to teach us all that they could about the Salvation Army. Our families and our spiritual parents were all in complete agreement with God's call for us. So today, I stand before you a cadet at the Salvation Army Training College. But more than that, I stand before you as a believer in Jesus Christ, reminding everyone that regardless of the details of your testimony, in the end, we all need him. We all need Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. And at this time, I just want to read the scripture, amen, that um, Aaron will be ministering from this morning. It's Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Again, that's Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Hey, there's a uh, uh, familiar song. Do y'all mind if I sing it? Please sing with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Hallelujah. Today, I would like to talk to you about um, two of the four questions of life. And they are, number one, who am I and why am I here? If you look at your program, you'll see it. it's identity and purpose. Two of the most constant questions that you always ask yourself. Who am I 
why am I here? Chantel and I, we question why God brought us to Lubbock. You all beautifully welcomed us Friday, and we thank you. You did a, a spectacular job. Um, but when we knew that God appointed us here, but we're not the core officers. That's Captains Bobby and Nicole Parker. We're not the core assistants. That's Lieutenant Whitney Houston. Um, so what role can we play here? Why did God bring us here? A lot of times um, you go the wrong way when you start to search for purpose before you search for identity. A Texas Tech student, he can just go and start select, randomly select classes that he wants to attend. Um, but if he doesn't know who God has made them to be, he will basically just be wasting a lot of time and a lot of energy pursuing the wrong thing. So identity always comes before purpose. You need to know who you are before you can know what you're supposed to do. Um, the way that most of us have been given our own identity and purpose is what psychology um, argues as nature and nurture. How many people heard of it? Nature and nurture? Okay. Uh, nature is what's been given to you by your parents. Genetically, is the DNA. Um, and nurture is what you have been, uh, what's, what you have gained through experience and through your environment. And so um, there are two, two ways that most people gain identity and purpose. I'll give you an example in my life. I was a baby in my, strapped in my car seat in the back seat, and my favorite song began to play on the radio. And before I knew it, my hands start tapping to the beat of the song. And so my parents looked at me and saw that I had a gift of music. And they said, we're going to groom him into a musician. And so I became a drummer. And uh, my, my father, he's a musician, so I, I got the gift of music the, to be able to distinguish notes and, and rhythm. I got that honest. Um, and that same process is the way that has been involving throughout all of history. You've been given your identity and you've been given your purpose by your parents. A lot of times um, it could be beneficial, but sometimes it's not what God originally had for you to be and to do. Um, for example, Jesus, he became a carpenter because his father, Joseph, his, his earthly father was a carpenter. Um, Matthew, he became a tax collector quite possibly because his father was a tax collector. And so if you don't mind, let's reread his account in Matthew 9, verse 9. And we're going to read to the 13th verse. And it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed. Let's change scene. Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, maybe uh, tacos, <laughs> many or sandwiches, my favorite. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does your teacher defile himself and eat with such filthy people? This is what the Pharisees were thinking. Verse 12, on overhearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. And we know that Jesus is the great physician. 
sinners. I had to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In the Old Testament, you see that God told Moses to tell the people the way that you are to receive forgiveness for your sins and your wrongs is that you are to go get a goat or a lamb, one that was perfect. It couldn't have a spot. It couldn't have a gimp in his leg or anything. And you had to spill his blood and put him on a burnt offering and sacrifice him to God. That's what God felt that this is adequate for you to get your sins uh, forgiven. But this is Jesus, and he knew his identity. He knew his purpose. He knew that he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So for you to bring a, a lamb and sacrifice it to him, that's not what he desired. He desired that you have mercy. Say, have mercy. Have mercy. That's what Jesus desires. Um, I won't be before you long. You mind if I pray? Bow your heads. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to your people about identity and purpose. Um, I can't do this without you. This is your word, and your word brings life. And I ask that you would just be in my thinking, be in my speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, this is a beautifully, a beautifully written account by Matthew. This is the same tax collector who Jesus comes and give him a new purpose and a new identity, which is a disciple. Now, let's, let's talk about what true discipleship is. Okay, so discipleship, I use a lot of illustrations. So. Uh, discipleship was um, called, the, the word for disciple was Talmud. Everybody say Talmud. Okay, Talmud was a boy who was um, born and raised to study scripture, memorize the whole Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, which was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they had to memorize scripture, and at the age of 12, they'll pick out a rabbi that they wanted to be like. And they'll go up to the rabbi and present the, their knowledge of scripture and literally study um, uh, the movement and the life of that rabbi. Um, so the boy will be younger, and he'll find a rabbi. Um, They closely studied the patterns of the rabbi. The rabbi was one of the highest esteemed positions in the Jewish culture. Um, if you looked at um, the culture, like I said, the Talmud or the student would choose his own rabbi. But this was the first time when the rabbi, Jesus, chose his own student, Matthew. 
And um, if you would look at the 12 disciples, you will see a bunch of characters that have no similarity with the normal Talmud. You will see thieves. You will see fishermen. You will see tax collectors in Matthew. You will see even the criminal on the cross that was right next to Jesus. Jesus looks over and says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't normally um, select people who had the best um, qualifications or the best resume. It's almost like somebody who, who interviews 100 people and selects the worst person to hire. Uh, Jesus, a lot of times we feel that you have to be perfect to follow Jesus, but Jesus selects imperfect people to follow him, myself included. Um, Turning your Bibles to Mark 8, verse 34. Mark 8, verse 34. Jesus is given the qualifications of his disciple. And I'm going to begin reading. It says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, they will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their souls? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So Jesus gives three ways that you had to, um, three things you had to meet to be his disciples. Number one, you had to deny yourself. Number two, you had to take up your cross. And number three, you had to follow. Let's talk about denying yourself. That's simply uh, not being self-centered but Christ-centered. A lot of times we, we can make an excuse for being self-centered, and we can use Jesus. We'll say, well, hey, Jesus wants me to be happy, and this is not for any, anybody here, but if I was to get a divorce with my wife, that would be my excuse. Well, hey, Jesus wants me to be happy, so I'm going to get a divorce. And so we use, we use excuses for being self-centered. God wants us to be Christ-centered. The second thing, we have to take up our cross. Now, the people who Jesus was talking to, they were familiar with this saying, take up your cross. They were familiar with crucifixion because this was the Romans' way of oppressing the people and instilling fear on them, ruling with an iron thumb. They said, if you were ever to cross us, you're going to die a slow, painful, horrible death. You will have to carry your cross. You'll be whipped up a mountain. You'll be nailed to a cross. And on top of that, what they did was they stripped you of your clothes. So while you're hanging on the cross, you'll be totally naked. It was a painful, torturous, and a shame and shameful way to, to go. Take up your cross, this instrument of death. And last, you have to follow him. You have to be ready and prepared to suffer. 
Matthew, again, he wasn't qualified to be a Talmud, but what qualified him is that at the command of Jesus, he literally got up and followed him. He got up and, and was ready for his new identity and his new purpose. Have you ever committed your life to God like that? Have you ever committed to anything like that where you will leave everything, your, your time, your money, your energy, you'll, you'll give it all away? Um, a good example of what it means to follow, we can learn from the baby duckling. There's a, a short video. I want you to just watch it real quick. baby duckling first hatches from the egg, the very first living thing it sees, it bonds itself to. In the video, you see that the first thing it saw was the cat, so he thought that the cat was its mommy. <laughs> and the cat was trying to eat him, and he was willing to sacrifice himself for his mommy. Uh, that's the same way that we are to follow Jesus. We are to um, imprint on him. Although the cat was showing him the book that it's a duck, <laughs> it still bonded itself to the cat. And the same, same way in life, um, we're to commit ourselves just like this duck that imprints on the cat. Um, you can believe that Jesus is Lord. You can believe that he is Lord, but at the same time, you cannot make him your Lord. You can believe that he is Lord, but you can not make him your Lord. Lord means master. It means teacher. The Muslim, they believe that Jesus was a good teacher, um, but they won't follow him. They won't make him their master. And so it's important that you, you make the decision to make him your master, that you let him control, control your decisions. 
That's the message that Jesus was trying to give to the rich young, rich young ruler. Matthew eventually follows the rabbi, Jesus, and eventually Jesus says to Matthew, hey, you follow me long enough. Now you are to go and make disciples. I've been your rabbi. Now you are ready to be the rabbi and make disciples. And if you're not self-centered, if, if you're not, if you deny yourself, if you've taken up your cross, you will be able to teach people how to carry a cross. You will teach people how to follow Jesus. If you're not self-centered and you put Christ, you will teach people what it means to suffer for Christ. And that's something that everybody can't do. For someone, Jesus could be calling you to the table. And he's saying, hey, I have a spot open and I've chosen it. And I want to come in and dine with you. I want to live with you. And so all you have to do is make the choice to leave your tax collector bin and, and follow Jesus. For others, you might be following or might have been following Jesus for a, a long time. And you, you have on your, your rabbi outfit, you have your rabbi outfit on, but you've been hiding. You've been trying to blend in. And God is saying, I made you to be a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. And so it's time to take it off. Just come and kneel and, and talk to your rabbi. Talk to your teacher.